welcome to the Being a Whole Person podcast. I'm Rebecca Haas, a pianist, composer, and creative wellness coach, and my job is to help you self-compassionately grow your creative practice from a supportive foundation of wellness. This podcast features honest conversations, resources, inspiration, and tangible tips to help you cultivate more balance and ease in your work and life, follow through on your goals without constant hustle, and also feel like a whole person in the process. I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of Being a Whole Person. How are you doing this week? It's been kind of rough, hasn't it? At least for those of us in America following the election, although probably everyone is keeping an eye on it. I'm recording this in the past, so I don't know what happens or if we will have any idea what happens when this airs on Friday, but it's been so important to do everything possible to calm your nervous system this week, right? Like all the comfort food, all the soft clothes. I've been finding myself just really wanting to be cozy and just really leaning into being kind to myself. So I hope that you've been able to do the same and that you continue to do that because we always need that and always deserve that. But the need happens to be more acute right now. I'm wishing you all the fortitude, peace, and good feelings in that area. And before I tell you about the episode, I have a quick announcement. I'm bringing back one-time coaching sessions. People have been asking about them, and I think they'll be a really nice way for people to get coaching in a more accessible way, perhaps than engaging in a longer package with me. These are going to be more in-depth and specifically geared toward overwhelm getting to the root of it and figuring out how to use your time and energy more wisely and lots of resources. I'm a relentless collector of resources and I love sharing them with people specifically tailored to what you need and of course an action plan to make sure that you actually can make space for the important things in your creative work and your life. I'm going to announce all the details of that in my newsletter on Monday. So get on that list if you want to be the first to hear about it and get the first chance to sign up. If you don't know, I write creative wellness letters every other Monday, and they have the same purpose as this podcast, to help you self-compassionately grow your creative practice and give you some kind words of encouragement along the way. When you sign up, you also get access to a whole slew of free resources in my resource library. So it's good all around. There'll be a link in the show notes for how to sign up if you're not on there already. And let me tell you about the episode. I was so excited to talk to Amy Koretsky on the show. She was actually one of the first people on my list in the original iteration of this podcast. If you're new around here, you've only listened to more recent episodes. This used to be an interview show with my friend Lexi Rollet, and we used to interview people about creative business and spirituality and self-care and where that all comes together. And of course, this pivot is kind of related to that, but she was one of the first people that I had on my list to contact to interview when this show started. Hearing her talk about acupuncture also was kind of the catalyst for finally getting myself to try it. And I am a serious needle phobe. And now I'm very much an acupuncture evangelist. We actually barely talk about acupuncture during the show, even though that's one of Amy's two businesses. She's also a breathwork facilitator and business coach who works with creative entrepreneurs, integrating breathwork into that. 
among many other things, which she'll tell you about on the show, we really get deep about how we define our identities, not just based on what we do, but who we are. And we talk about how that integrates into being a whole person. Coincidentally. No, not coincidentally. (laughs) So this is a great episode for all of you creative entrepreneurs out there with a winding career path who like to hear about other people's winding career paths. And isn't that most people's career path? Like the overnight success is a very popular thing to talk about, but there's always the winding path that led up to that. So Amy shares about her winding path. She shares about her supportive tools and her personal process for getting unstuck and kind of out of a funk and how she practices compassionate productivity is very wrapped up in that. She also shares about how she conducts business with anti-capitalist values within capitalism and some of her favorite role models in that and what an extended Instagram break has felt like for her. So it's such a rich conversation and I am really excited for you to hear it. So on with the show. Today we have Amy Koretsky on the show. Hi, Amy. Hey. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Can you tell everybody about who you are and what you do, what you're all about? (laughs) Yeah, that's such a big question. It is a big question. You can answer it as big or as small as you want to. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Who I am. I, my name is Amy Koretsky. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I call in or I'm calling in from ancestral lands of Dakota and Anishinaabe peoples, which is also known as Minneapolis. And I do many, many things. I think a lot of people know me for kind of like two main things. One, I'm a breathwork facilitator, mainly working with business owners and creative entrepreneurs. I'm a business coach who basically uses breathwork to like help business owners create businesses that feel in alignment with their lives, with their values, and with their physical health as well. Um, I'll often say that I'm like a wellness coach for mind, body, and business. And as part of that, I also do like larger group uh, breathwork class facilitation. I lead both public groups um, at least once a month, sometimes more, you know, with COVID and all, it's like we kind of moved to a more online or an all online (laughs) way of doing work. And so right now we're uh, leading those once a month, but in the beginning of COVID, it was every week. Back in the day when it was in person, it was like twice a month. So it really kind of varies. I also do private facilitation of groups. So um, for like companies that are a little bit, smaller and more unique and maybe a little bit quirky and want uh, group events, almost like trust falls for companies, but they want um, an event that will help them connect more intimately as a group and as a community. And so I'll lead group breath work for groups of people in that way to allow for in-depth conversation and in-depth connection in that way. But I also have a background in East Asian medicine. I co-own an acupuncture clinic in downtown Minneapolis, um, and I also practice acupuncture and, and Chinese medicine there as well. So those are like kind of the two main things I do, but I mean, like I'm also a tarot reader. I'm a nationally board certified health coach. I consider myself a writer. I used to be a podcaster. Maybe I'll be a podcaster again in the future. We'll see. I'm a dog mom, a photographer, a nature lover. 
So like all these things make up who I am. I love it. Yeah. I love the wide spanning answer because <laughs> that's, that's real. You know, it's nice to like tie yourself up in a box and like a paragraph description, but none of us really fit right. in there in a little paragraph. I've been doing, especially living here in Minnesota, and especially as being someone who is committed to anti-racism in my work, but also like healing work in general. I've been taking a lot of classes and doing a lot of um, movement work recently around being more trauma informed in movement spaces and like healing work in movement spaces and stuff. And a lot of times, uh, a lot of those classes will start with working with identity and we'll talk about like, okay, what are our different identities? And then even be like, okay, well, what if you had to take one of those identities away and then another one away? And it's like, it's hard because so many of those identities are like wrapped up into who we are. And when we can't really distill ourselves down to just like one single word or one single sentence even. And so I think in order to um, be able to show up as our whole selves, we have to include all of those things. Yeah. And that makes me think too, like if you take away those identities, which ones, probably most of them are having to do with things you do yeah, and qualities you embody. And that's, yeah. that's hard too. Like absolutely. if you were not allowed to say any of those things that you do, like that's a very different description. <laughs> oh yeah. I would have like a whole, I, that's a really good point. Cause I definitely have so many more um, identities that I can bring to the table that aren't necessarily like what I do in my work. So. Yeah. Do you want to share any of those since we're talking about <laughs> it? That's kind of a big question too. No, I love that. You know, I'm someone who I consider myself a feminist. I also consider myself someone that is really committed to anti-oppression work in all shapes and forms. And I'm someone who considers myself like a Jewish witch. So I like practice earth-based Jewish ancestral practices to connect to my own lineages in that way. Um, So those are just a couple other things that I would say I am as well. Cool. Thanks for sharing so much of your identity. That's a great way to start. So I know you also have a background in creative stuff. You did you study art or did you study art history? I can't remember. Art history. Yeah. Yeah. And you worked at the Walker Art Center for a while, right? I did. Yeah. My, my road of like becoming an entrepreneur is like kind of a windy one, but is that where you're wanting me to go a little bit? Like talk about. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so like you said, my, my background is in art history. I worked at the Walker Art Center, which is a contemporary art museum here in Minneapolis. I actually worked there when I was in high school. It was like my job when I was a senior in high school, I was able to like, um, I was, doing one of those like PSEO classes where you basically get to, I was in college courses when I was in high school. So I would leave every day high school at like after lunchtime. And so I had all this free time and my mom's like, okay, you need to get a real job then. (laughs) So I actually got a job at the art museum and I thought that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I went to school for it and I, I came back to Minnesota and I, I, basically got my old job back and then worked my way up a little bit to different positions in the museum. And, and then I realized I hated it. I realized <laughs> I really, really hated working in that sort of structure that is so based on money in this way that I, I didn't feel comfortable with. We're, we're basically like catering to the, the wealth of the city in order to survive as like a nonprofit institution. And, um, and it really just didn't work for me. And 
I didn't really think about it at the time, but I actually come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Um, so, you know, both of my parents are, are, they were public service workers. They both worked for the state of Minnesota. So I never really thought of myself as like, you know, originating from entrepreneurs or having an entrepreneurial bone in my body. But after starting my, my first business, like after graduating from acupuncture school and starting my solo practice, my mom was like, you know, there's, there's so much of you that, that really reminds me of, you know, her grandfather. So my great grandfather, and it got me kind of thinking back. And this was around the same time that I started doing a little bit more like ancestral work as part of like a decolonizing practice as well and like reconnecting to my own roots. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of um, entrepreneurship in my lineages, both on both sides of my family, you know, uh, both of my, my ancestors on both sides of the family came over from like Russia, Eastern Europe in the early 1900s. And they came over uh, as like refugees, as, as Jewish people, um, you know, fleeing the, pogroms and like all the things happening in Russia and they couldn't really get jobs here. And so they had to like figure things out for themselves. So on like one side of the family, you know, they were, they were peddlers and they drove like junk trucks and like, you know, did whatever they needed to do to like survive. And then on the other side of the family, they got in, into like kind of construction and then, you know, selling like building supply materials and then kind of going into real estate and, and creating their own business that ended up being a, a very successful business on my mom's side of the family. And I had never really thought about that. I come from all these like lines of entrepreneurs, but I do. And it's funny because I've always been a terrible employee. <laughs> like I'm really, I have a lot of like rebelliousness in me. And so I'm, I'm, I always um, question authority and, you know, if someone tells me to do something one way, I'm probably going to do it a different way because I think it's a better way of doing it. And like, I'm just not a very good employee in that way. And when I left the Walker Art Center, I literally just like left without having a clue of what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know I was going to go to acupuncture school at the time. I didn't even know like how I was going to make rent the next month. But at the time I was working as a producer like the local Minneapolis producer for a uh, film festival that was all over the world it was the bicycle film festival and so it was like well this is something I'm passionate about this is what I want to be doing and then I just cleaned houses to make money like I cleaned houses for a couple years it's actually now a company here in town that has like grown to be I think like a multi-million dollar company it's a really well-known um, eco-friendly cleaning company here in town but I was like one of the first people that uh, before they even had employees they were basically just independent contracting us and so it was basically like being your own boss I got to make my own schedule I got to do all the film production stuff that I wanted to do and then it was basically just like showing up and cleaning people's houses so I did that for a while and then eventually came to the realization that I wanted to be in acupuncture school or I wanted to become an acupuncturist and and so started down that path, did lots of odds and ends jobs while I was in school doing that. And then when I was in school, you know, there's not a lot of acupuncture jobs out in the world. There's, there's more now, like more hospitals are welcoming acupuncture into the ranks of Western medicine. But at the time, that wasn't really something I was interested in doing. Um, and there weren't a lot of clinics in town that were necessarily hiring employees. And so I kind of knew from day one of acupuncture school that like when I graduated, I'm going to have to like figure it out on my own and like do this myself. And so um, that's what I did. Basically, I when I completed school, I got my um, my licensure, you know, a couple months later, and I just 
started working for myself. And so from day one, it was just like me being my own boss. And for a long time, it was just uh, a solo practice where it was just me for about three or four years, I think. And then uh, three years ago, I merged with my close friend and now work wife, Kim Christensen, and we collaborated together and created a, a clinic together and hired employees. And so now we are actually like business owners of a, a more substantial business where we have like W2 employees and we have a larger space and a larger reach and whatnot. So that's kind of the, the windy road that got me to where I am right now. I'm glad to hear the windy road because so often it's like, wow, here's the success part. And it gives the impression that it happened overnight. And it never does. Like no, <laughs> The windy never. stuff is present for everybody. So yeah, I mean, in some ways I could say like, okay, I've been working, you know, I've been in business for seven years, but really it's like some of the experiences that I had when I was cleaning houses inform what I'm able to do in my work now. I mean, when I was doing like house cleaning, I, I was considered an independent contractor. So I had to do my taxes on my own. I had to keep all of my receipts for all of the supplies that I was buying, you know, all these things that, so that when I started my acupuncture solo practice, I kind of had a leg up because I had an idea of what I needed to do for accounting things, as opposed to some business owners now who have never done anything like that before. They're just like, Oh, I need to keep receipts. Yeah. Like I don't even, you know, they don't even know where to start. And so I kind of consider that my, you know, self-employment, education or entrepreneurship education has been much longer than just seven years. And really like everything, all of our life experiences inform yeah. everything, even if it like doesn't fit cleanly on a resume. So totally, I, I think we should all acknowledge that more too. I'm really glad that when you started acupuncture school, that you knew from day one that you would be working for yourself. Cause like my experience in music school, like musicians all end up working for ourselves. We all collect those receipts. Like they never taught us about anything related to like, here's how you do your taxes or here's some things you can do to advertise yourself. Like we took one career orientation class where we wrote papers about different careers freshman year and nobody cared about it. And it was just a throwaway. So it's like, we should all have more of that training. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I, they didn't actually have that training in acupuncture school either. We had two business courses. It was like, you know, a part one and a part two. And they were towards the end of our, the school that I went to, it was three years year round for a master's degree in Chinese medicine. And it was like the last two terms were when we had our business class, which I think is silly because really there should be one in the very beginning. Like you're saying, you know, you should have an idea in the beginning so that you can be thinking about it through your entire education. And then another couple at the end to like help you actually put some plans into motion. Yeah. But I feel like most of the, the class was like inviting us to make a business plan, which like, I'm not going to knock business plans. There is a time and a place for having a legitimate business plan, but the sort of business plan they were wanting us to make is the kind that like you do all this market research and it's, you have all these numbers and you basically take it to a bank to then say, give me a loan, which is such a old paradigm way of thinking about business. It's such like a, Oh, you need thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to have an investment to to like buy a building or to start a, a larger organization as opposed to the way businesses actually run now is I mean, especially now with like coronavirus and like so yeah. many people are online and it's such a you can start with such a minimum viable product to start an online business that 
you know, they were, they were expecting us to like fit this mold that no longer fit the day and age that we were living in. And so I don't actually feel like a lot of the business um, education that I got in school was actually helpful at all. I think that I'm just um, resourceful enough and I have the drive. I'm a, I'm a Capricorn rising. So like Capricorns love, they just climb that mountain until they reach the peak. You climbing. Practical. Totally. Super practical. So, you know, my first, probably my first like six or eight months in business for myself, I had like a really small, I had a really small practice. You know, I was starting from scratch. I only had a handful of patients. So I had a lot of free time on my hands. And so I, I did a lot of my own self-education. I mean, you and I originally kind of connected through the being boss community, even yeah. though we both like lived in the same city when you were living here. Yeah. But like that was kind of my own self-education in the beginning, like finding podcasts that had a bunch of free information, finding some online courses that were, you know, reasonably priced that I could learn a lot from. And so, you know, I, I really do feel like it was trial by fire. Like I, I put in a, basically another master's degree in business of my own work, the number of hours and money that I've put into like my own self-education around business, along with the experience that I've had now over the last like decade. But it didn't just like it wasn't innate. It didn't just fall on my lap. It wasn't even taught to me through school. There was a lot of hard, like a lot of work and effort that I put into it over time. I think the desire to learn is such a key component of being a person in a successful business. Like you have to probably be excited about learning more and more. It's true. And you have to be, you know, you actually have to be excited about being a business owner, mm-hmm. so, you know, there's this very like romantic idea of like working from home and making your own schedule and like, you know, being able to like go out for lunch in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know, something like that. It's a very like Instagram highlight reel sort of way of looking at business ownership. But, you know, the realities of business ownership is that there's a lot of parts of it that aren't very fun. Um, there's a lot of parts you have to be a really good problem solver because you are the one that is literally solving all the problems. And it's not cut out for everyone. Not saying that people can't learn how to do it, but it's not necessarily the ideal work environment for everybody. And it's funny because, you know, I say that I'm a, a business coach, but I would say that, you know, a decent number of clients that I've worked with over the, you know, last five or six years doing this more business focused work is, has been helping some people make the realization that they don't actually want to be a business owner. You know, they come to me wanting to become a better business owner, but what they realize in the process, and this is partly through the breath work work that we do in the, the more like person centered work that we do is that they're, trying to live up to other people's expectation or other people's beliefs of what they should be doing or like what's a successful way of being as opposed to like what's true for them. And when they actually distill down the truth for themselves, they're like, actually, you know, I really do just want to be able to like show up to a job that I love and be able to do the work I love without all the extraneous work that comes with being a business owner. And there's no shame in that. Like that's, that's beautiful to realize that as well. It's not a failure in any way, sense, or form, you know? So, you know, I say I'm a business coach, but sometimes being a business coach is actually helping people realize that they don't, they don't want to be in business. You're helping them be more of their true selves, whatever that may be. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Can you talk more about the process of breath work and like how that leads people to have sometimes incredible insights about themselves? I know I've done it once in person with you and definitely online too. And yeah, it's interesting how suddenly you're open and sort of in this different mental state. Can you just yeah. kind of explain like how that works for people who aren't familiar? Totally. Um, I'll start by saying that, you know, the term breath work is, as my friend Jenny likes to say, it's like an umbrella term for all these different practices that utilize the breath that have been around in various cultures in the world for millennia. I mean, as humans, one of our innate functions is to to breathe, like we need oxygen to survive. So working with the breath, modulating the breath, controlling the breath, and supporting the breath is a very human invention, but it's something that goes across many cultures. That all being said, the the style of breath work that I practice does have more of its roots in like pranayama, which is based um, out of India and kind of like Southeast Asia in general. And um, But that also this style of, of practice is very similar to some other styles that are different lineages, such as like holotropic or some others that are I'm not having on the top of my head right now. But one of the main differences between what I do, like what holotropic does uh, versus maybe what you would do with like a meditation guide or even like a therapist that's helping you like calm anxiety, you know, usually those practices are much more about slowing down the breath, grounding, they're about centering, they're about calming the nervous system down. And that's separate than what this style of breath work is. This style of breath work is actually about um, activating the body and activating the nervous system in a way to release past trauma from the cells of our body. You know, we hold trauma in the cells of our body, like physically. And when we breathe in this way, we actually kind of create a a non-ordinary state of consciousness that allows us to move energy and move old traumas and move even like kind of physical trauma, you know, for those of us who have like chronic pain or chronic disease in our bodies to, to shift some of these things in a way that is, it's in a way that can actually move through and clear without having in in the moment trauma response like for us to be able to connect to the trauma of our bodies without actually reliving that trauma is really it's really different and it's really special because so often if you're like in your brain about something and you're talking about a traumatic experience you can get caught back up in that memory and then everything floods up and all of the chemicals are just coming up and all the stress hormones but if we can actually kind of for lack of a better term if we can like bypass that loop and find ourselves in a non-ordinary state of consciousness so that things can actually, the body can actually just release what it needs to release without the brain getting stuck in the story of what it all means, then we can actually create a lot more spaciousness and have things no longer be held in the body connected to a specific story. So uh, this is, might be a long and windy way of answering your question, but the practice is 
about finding that non-ordinary state of consciousness. It's about being able to get out of the thinking brain and into the feeling body because we are in our brains all the time. So like we live in a, not only do we live in a society that is like constantly connected to technology, constantly connected to information and to data and to new ways of consuming information all the time. We also come from a society that places a higher value on intellectualism and places a higher value on thinking like that's part of the problem like that's one of the characteristics of oppressive cultures and like white supremacy and patriarchy and all these things it's putting higher value on intellectualizing things on thinking about things and that disconnects us from our body so often of the time and so we've forgotten the wisdom that we naturally hold in our body and as we do this breath it allows us to kind of let the brain just kind of go take a nap over there <laughs> just kind of be like okay brain you're just gonna like do your thing over there we're just gonna like not totally ignore you because you might like speak up a little bit and have a bit of a tantrum and we're gonna have to calm and comfort you at some point <laughs> but we're still just gonna let you know that like you're you're okay you can sit in the back of the car and we're gonna let the body take the wheel and then once we actually connect into all the wisdom that the body holds and allow the body to actually do the healing that it actually already knows how to do, then that's where the magic happens. I mean, kind of even talking about that holding trauma in the body piece, you know, if anyone has read, I think it's called like Waking the Tiger or something, it's the book by Peter Levine. And yeah. you think about how animals, animals don't have PTSD. Animals, like, they go through a traumatic experience, and then they literally shake it off. Like, you watch, you know, a dog get into a scuffle with another dog, and then when you separate them out, they each shake it off, and then they're like, okay, whatever. Like, no big deal. We just had a scuffle, but it's cool. I totally don't remember it. But humans <laughs> don't Humans do not do that because we don't actually give ourselves the time and the space uh, to let the body have that literally shaking like release and so in breath work oftentimes people will start to shake a little bit like your body you'll either feel vibration in your fingers or your mouth or you'll people will sometimes almost get like the chills like they'll shake in that way and that's a way the body wants to clear out that charged stored energy that has maybe been there for years or decades for many people do you mean like a tingly sensation too when you say shake? Yes. I definitely had that. Yeah. So it can be both. Like the most common is that people be like, wow, my hands are like vibrating, like tingly vibrating. Mm -hmm. uh, but some people that vibration feels so strong that their, their fingers literally are shaking or they'll almost get really cold in their body. So like if when you walk outside and it's really cold and you're kind of hypothermic and you do that, you know, shaking, it can be that significant. Not saying that it always is like that. That's something I've, I only see, you know, a dozen or so times, but the tingling in the fingers, the tingling in the hands and the mouth, that's actually quite common because breathwork is a very active form of meditation. It's not us just sitting here passively and like crossing our legs and like reciting a little, affirmation over and over it's about like we are actively doing work we are actively taking each breath and moving energy strongly in the body so it's a much more participatory practice um and it's a bit more it's a more intense practice and it's not for everyone but i do think that anyone can do it so to clarify what i mean for that is like i think that anyone 
can use the breath for this purpose. I do think that some people need a little bit more uh, personalized support than others to move through the process, especially if they are um, if they are people who live with PTSD or CPTSD. And also, there are some people. I will say people who are. Uh, maybe early stage pregnancy for the very first time or have a history of unstable pregnancy or have a recent traumatic brain injury or, uh, you know, like higher, more intense like health issues. It's always a good idea to talk to your doctor beforehand or to talk to the breathwork practitioner and make sure that they that it's safe for you to work with them. But like literally anybody can use the breath for this. We would just adjust things a little bit depending upon what your health history is and what's going on with you or your um, like trauma history as well. That makes sense. It's nice to have the support even without that stuff though. I remember being a little bit scared the first time. I think I did an online thing with you the first time. So like I felt safe. I was in my own bed. I was, you know, in like a dark room, but I was still like, okay, what's going to happen when I breathe this intensely for that long? Can I even do that? Yeah. Right. And I think that it's, um, it's interesting because you have this, this story or this thought of like, oh, can I actually do that? And then you do it. And there's this like, this realization of resiliency, this realization of resourcefulness, of inner ability and capability that like one of the things that breathwork invites us into is how to caretake for ourselves in times of stress or in times of discomfort. And that is something that all of us that live in this world right now could use more of, of like learning how to caretake for ourselves in times of discomfort because we're all uncomfortable right now. This is a very uncomfortable time in the history of our world. And also as we are, as so many people in this world are working to dismantle the systems of oppression that are happening, that, that have longstandingly been in this world as well, there's a lot more discomfort that's going to come, especially for groups of people who have long held power as their power decreases so that power can equalize. There's going to be discomfort in that. And the more we can caretake, more, the more times people can caretake for themselves in times of discomfort, that will give them more resiliency for all sorts of things in their life. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how you said that, but the the people with the most power, it feels like things are being taken away when it equalizes. Right. I'm speaking from the viewpoint of uh, a white person. And so, you know, that's the experience that I, you know, bring forward when I talk about these things, but like, it can feel uncomfortable. And that's not to say that like, it should, it should feel uncomfortable, actually, you know, like, this is normal for things to feel uncomfortable as things are changing. And the more we can accept that discomfort and to work with that discomfort and to lean into it and to feel comfortable in the discomfort, the better it is for like, humanity, <laughs> you know, yeah. people, people are so used to like, avoiding discomfort, that that's like, a huge problem. Yeah, which makes sense. Like there are a lot of instances where we wouldn't have survived if we had leaned yeah. into the discomfort. Like yeah. I get it, but practicing being okay with discomfort is it's necessary. Going to be a lifelong practice. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
and I think that, I mean, breathwork, I would say that like 75, this is just a random number, but like 75% of the time or 75% of the people that I talk to, they're like, wow, I really feel uncomfortable when I'm doing breath work. Like I don't necessarily like doing the breath. I don't like being in the breath work, but I love how I feel afterwards. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's true. You know, sometimes we have to like wade through the water, the muck, the dirt, the mud to like get to the other side where like the flowers are. Yeah. That reminds me of how people talk about the creative process sometimes. Like there's that funny saying where people are like, I hate writing, but I love having written. And, you know, because you're wading through the muck. Yeah, completely. It's very parallel. Do you ever work with people trying to have insights about their creative process or like unblock parts of that or just anything related to that? Oh, all the time. Yeah. And I'm, that's me too. Like I fall into funks. I call them funks. That's just like the way I describe them. But like, Mm -hmm. like creative blocks or funks or whatever probably at least once a month, probably two or three times a month. And when I say like once a month, I mean, it can last for like two weeks sometimes, like it can be a long time. And so I'm intimately connected to that feeling. And then I work with a lot of clients who are going through that as well. And like, I found like a process that works for me. You know, I've shared it in my newsletter, I've shared it on Instagram. I I can share it here. I, I bring it to my clients. And I do feel like the process works. So even when I'm in the muck, when I'm in the funk and I have resistance to my own process, I still like remember that like, okay, well, I have a process for a reason. And like, you know, the first step of my process is actually just like accepting the funk, like being in love with the funk, just like being totally compassionate with myself that there is a funk. And so that's hard. (laughs) Right. And that's like the first thing we, that's really the only thing we can do sometimes is just to accept the fact that we're in a funk right now and, and not resist against it. You know, once again, this is this level of discomfort, like being comfortable in the discomfort of the funk is a huge thing. And, and sometimes even just the acceptance of it, allows it to completely dissolve because so much of the funk can sometimes just be from the resistance, like that literal, like, you know, physics of for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Like for all the resistance we push out there, it's going to push back on us. So once we like stop resisting it, it might just like fall away. So that's, that's my first step. (laughs) Or that it prevents the spiral that comes from that with like, yeah, what's wrong with me? And all the stuff that can come from that. Yeah, completely. So yeah, like the first thing is just like accepting it, loving it if you can, you know, whatever you need to do. And then the next steps I don't always necessarily do in like one specific order, but it basically comes down to stepping away and leaning on my practices. So maybe that's going for a walk in nature, getting some fresh air. Maybe it means laying down and doing some breath work. Maybe it means pulling some tarot cards, reading a book, doing a crossword puzzle, like whatever, any of those things. Those are like my general like tools that I lean on. It also means like reaching out for support. So maybe um, reaching out to some of my mastermind buddies or any of my other like business besties just to be like, I'm in a funk. Like even I'm not necessarily looking for like answers, just like, you know, unconditional like listening and support. You want to be seen. Yeah, be seen and like to know that I'm not alone in it because usually at least someone else that I'm talking to is probably there too. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, accepting the funk, 
reaching out for support, leaning on my tools. And then I just like sit down and start. So it means, you know, maybe setting a timer and writing for a little bit or just like making my to-do list and just doing one of the things on the to-do list. But it, it doesn't have to be like A plus work, but it just needs to be, mm -hmm. it just needs to be something. I just have to sit down and start and not necessarily put expectation on what the outcome is going to be from it. And then usually at that point, it like clears things through and I'm able to like move past it. Usually that's the point of turning the wheel at that point. And if not, then it's just like back to square one. Just like, well, I guess it's just not going to happen today. And like coming back to loving the funk. And you know that you tried then too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know sometimes when it feels scary to restart because you're feeling that funk and that resistance, like that just compounds and then you avoid it and then yeah. it just gets worse and worse and worse. So I, I really find that too, that just trying to start or setting a ridiculously small goal. Like if I'm trying yeah. to compose, I'll be like, I'm right, five notes. Yeah. Five notes. Totally. That's it. And then I, it's not just so I can pat myself on the back that I succeeded at that goal, but like just to know I showed up and I did something. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say like that, that step, it's like not about writing an entire blog post or like making the perfect whatever. It's about like literally just starting whatever that looks like. That's such a practice now in 2020 also. Like <laughs> yeah. I know humans just are kind of terrible at knowing how long things will take <laughs> in general. And then when it comes to the creative process, we're not necessarily in control of how that all unfolds, oh which is hard to accept. And then now just with everything that is weighing on us and you know, taxing our energy. I'm really trying to embrace glacial progress. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with it, but I'm getting a little better at it, which is also glacial progress. <laughs> so it's totally. like very meta. Yeah. I, um, I always underestimate how much time something is going to take <laughs> yeah. for the life of me. I, yeah. I, even though I like always, I'm like, oh, it's probably going to take longer than I think. It still takes longer than that. Thanks. Even doubling it, like, is it good enough usually? <laughs> I know. That's wild. Yeah. And like, we, like, you're obviously a very multi-passionate person. Like if you're interested in a lot of things, you just, you're excited about a lot of things. You want to do a lot of things. And it's like, yeah. well, I'm going to put this all on my list for today. Cause I feel really excited about it. And it's like, well, actually I'm a human. My energy will not accommodate all of those things that I would like to do today. Yeah. That has been a real learning curve and lesson for me, especially recently. I don't know. I think last week I, um, treated myself to a couple matcha lattes during the week. I have like some matcha in my fridge and, nice. and I was like, I'm gonna make a matcha latte. Cause I got like oat milk, all the things. It was like such a little treat. I did it like three times last week. And I'm usually someone that doesn't drink much caffeine at all. Mm. And my anxiety this week, like Monday morning, I woke up and my anxiety was through the roof. And I'm pretty sure it was related to all the caffeine that I drink uh -huh. that I don't normally drink. But either way, I was like, looked at my list of what I needed to get done this week. And on Monday, I basically thought like, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to get done with all. Like I totally went into a, sp a time spiral of like, there's not enough time. Blah, blah, blah. And really I was spent so much time lamenting the lack of time that I had, that it was like, you know, becoming a chicken and the egg thing. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I actually had to do that exact process that I just like went over with you where instead of being like, feeling like I'm in a creative rut, it really was just accepting like, okay, 
there might not actually be enough time for everything. And like, if that's the case, that's the case. And there's nothing I can do about it. But like me being stressed out about the lack of time isn't actually helping me get my work done at all. And so then I like removed myself from the situation. I went for a little walk. I texted with some friends that day who were also going through things like that. And we just like gave each other a little like pep talk. And then, you know, I laid down and I did a little bit of breath work. And then I just like sat down and I got like one thing done on my to-do list. And you know, it's like, here we are, we're recording this on a Thursday. And actually like, I literally only have like one or two things left on my to-do list that I will absolutely get done like today, like not even tomorrow, the last day of the week, but I'll get them done today. So the fact that, you know, our perception of things can so, can be so skewed at times and we really can just like fall into these spirals. And so, so often for me, it's about just letting it be what it is in that moment. So if it's like being creatively stuck, it's being creatively stuck. If it's feeling pressed for time, then it's like, okay, well, maybe not everything's going to get done. And just like knowing that not every molehill is like a mountain and picking and choosing my battles around that. It's like you were holding a magnifying glass by accident. You're like, oh, hey, I can put this down. Okay. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's part of being a solo entrepreneur also of like mm-hmm. doing, doing everything yourself. And I do feel lucky that in, in part of my business, um, cause technically my businesses are separate. I have the acupuncture clinic and then I have the business coaching practice. Mm-hmm. And I I'm lucky that in the acupuncture practice that I have Kim and that we have each other to like lean on and support each other. But at the same time, it's funny because like in my own practice, like I think that one of the benefits of being a solopreneur is like, yeah, you have to do everything yourself, but you get to like kind of dictate the priorities. So you get to dictate your time a little bit. And when you have a, a business partner and employees, you know, sometimes, you know, I think I can get X, Y, and Z done in my day, but then shit hits the fan for one reason or another in something that is out of my control with an employee or with, you know, a coworker or something. And then all of a sudden my priorities sometimes get like pushed to the sidelines so I can troubleshoot for the greater business. And that that's a whole new thing that I'm still navigating and learning how to, how to best practices of not giving up all of my priorities for the sake of the business and the larger like community, but yet also making sure that the business and the community can rely on me and that I'm reliable in ways because I, that's part of the responsibility of being the boss and having employees and stuff is like, I want my employees to know that they can rely on me. Yeah. So it's a, you know, navigating game. Yeah. That's a whole other level. But even as a solo entrepreneur, you have to be able to rely on the boss yourself. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and that's how we, that's, that's why we take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So true. That's why I've been, I've been talking about this concept of compassionate productivity and it sounds like you're really describing that right now. Yeah. That's a good term to like basically use to sum up what I am all about. Yeah compassionate productivity. I think if we could bring more self-compassion into every part of our business, um, our businesses would be more successful. Our businesses would be more efficient and like efficient, not in like a productivity way, but like the things that our priorities would get done sort of efficiency. And I also think that like we would be just happier and healthier people. 
Yeah, that's exactly how I define it. Like being happier and healthier people can be the goal. Like productivity culture says it's just get all the things done and check all the boxes and like who cares how you feel at the end of the day, but well, that's capitalism culture. That's capitalism. All of those systems of oppression. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. It's kind of funny. Also, like, I consider myself someone who is an anti-capitalist running two businesses inside the framework of capitalism because, like, I mean, we live in the United States. You can't yeah. totally relieve yourself. You can't separate yourself from capitalism. But so how do you, like, mm -hmm. work within the structure that's already there but try to do things in a way that that aren't dictated by the system that you're living inside of. It's complicated, but you know <laughs> what? We're doing our best. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally doable. There's, I do feel like there are some role models out there that I like look to and that helps. That definitely helps. Who are some of those role models? I think like Sarah Godestiner yeah. is a good one. She is an artist and a designer and a witch and a teacher and all sorts of things and she definitely does a lot of like anti-capital capitalism practices kate strathman i'm forgetting the name of her business off the top of my head but she's actually someone that i used to work with at the walker art center years and years ago but she has a bookkeeping and like financial consultancy business for entrepreneurs that holds similar values and ethics to myself so she's committed to anti-oppression like in business and she considers herself like an anti-capitalist working within capitalism uh, i think it's called Wanderwell, but so that's really interesting in the way that she's going about doing work while still working within the system of capitalism jenny patterson from corpus ritual i really she's someone a friend of mine that has long really held true to uh anti-oppressive systems in her like pricing structures and in the way that uh, her accessibility and whatnot and her work and those are just the three that are at the top of my head right now but I'm, I'm sure there's more yeah cool thanks for sharing those i'm not familiar with all three of them or like very vaguely maybe do you know jennifer armbrust from sister like that's a cool example too i'm familiar yeah I've never taken any of her classes or anything like that, but what is it like the feminist proposals for a feminine economy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have her books. I haven't taken any classes either, but I have the 12 principles for prototyping a feminist business yeah. on my bulletin board in front of me on the little card that they give you. Totally. And I, yeah, that's a great example as well. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. She's yeah. definitely someone that I, those 12, 12, what did you call it? 12 prototypes? Like those are yeah, 12, really 12 principles. Yeah. Yeah. Principles, yeah. Yeah. So I want to be mindful of your time, <laughs> but uh, I'd love to hear, you kind of already answered this in some of the things you said earlier, but what does being a whole person mean to you? I mean, I think it's really just like acknowledging and holding space and allowing for incorporation of all parts of someone to show up and kind of like in the introduction, like not, not taking away or negating any one aspect from a person. So like, you know, when I'm working with my coaching clients, I think part of the reason why I'm so passionate about incorporating breath work and tarot into my business coaching work is because ourselves as people 
aren't separate from our businesses. You know, our, our health isn't separate from our business. Our beliefs and values aren't separate from our business. Our energy isn't separate from our business. Our identities are not separate from our business. Like none of it is separate from our business. They are all inextricably intertwined. And when we can, when I, as like a coach can fully see someone in all of that complexity, then I can also see their business and all of that complexity. And when they feel seen in their fullness, then they're able to have their business reflect their fullness, which is, I mean, I generally find that people who are, I mean, we could talk about like success and like numbers and stuff, but like, I think about success as like having your needs met, but having those needs also include happiness and like love and compassion and stuff like that and when those needs are met in your business and like that's a successful business like money is just one part of the equation when it comes to success mm-hmm. thanks i love that i love hearing everybody's answer yeah <laughs> everyone has a different twist on it so the last question i like to ask everybody is what are you excited about right now because we need more excitement and joy oh gosh um <laughs> This might be a funny answer. I love funny answers. <laughs> I am excited that I'm no longer on Instagram right now. Cool. I I just like, I couldn't do it anymore. I really, Instagram really started becoming a should instead of a want. And I am lucky and privileged that I am in a place in my business that I am not super dependent upon Instagram as like a marketing effort at this point in time in my business. And I'm sure that will change at some point, but like, that's where I am right now. And I I was like stuck in a doom scroll, like between basically since the beginning of the pandemic and then George Floyd's murder and the uprising here in Minneapolis and then all the election stuff. Like I just found that Instagram was such a soul sucking, time draining experience for me that I wanted to separate myself from that. And what I actually am excited about, I'm excited about what spaciousness, what creativity and what action will come out of the gap or the hole or the space that is now here by removing Instagram. So like initially I deleted it off my phone, like right before Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the Jewish new year and the beginning of like the high holiday season, the high holiday season ended at the end of Shavuot or of, of Sukkot, which was just a couple days ago. And I was like, originally planning on turning it back on at that point. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, I, I feel like I've just over these last, like this last month, because I think it's like a month today that I've been off of Instagram now. I think it literally took a full month for like the quote unquote, like detox phase of like being away from Instagram. And so I'm not even at the point where like the creativity and the spaciousness is like really starting to bloom. And I'm like, oh, I still want that part part. So now I'm like thinking I'm going to be off Instagram probably through the end of 2020 and really like being excited about what wants to show up in that space and like being open to whatever it is. Cool. Possibility. Yeah. I'd be totally. interested to see what comes of that. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, not in a pressure way, obviously. <laughs> Tell me what you produce, obviously. Totally. This conversation. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, I've been feeling that way too, actually. Not that I want to get rid of it completely. I don't think that's where I'm at. But when RBG died, uh, I just felt like I couldn't, I had to turn it off because I was like, okay, I'm going to be scrolling through the exact same 10 memes yeah. and 
the exact same like three predictions of doom that will come now and i'm like i'm not getting anything out of this i mean rbg died literally right before rosh hashanah i know like, she died right before and i it was that afternoon that i like i had deleted it off my phone maybe three hours before news of her passing came oh wow through. and so i was just Good like, timing yeah i was just like i'm done i'm off yeah i've been doing weekends off from it and that's been very helpful i love that idea and it's not like i'm you know, I, I really do like, I love Instagram. I love the friendships I've made on Instagram. I love, yeah. I love sharing. Like there's different ways that I've shared there over the years that have actually been really fun and creative and inspiring to me. And it's inspiring to see some other people share in different ways. Um, and I'm, I'm not like done with it forever, but I just needed a break and I'm excited for the when I choose to come back on to let that both be more intentional and more fun. Yeah. I'm glad that you're able to honor that, that this is what feels right right now. And yeah, it will evolve just like all things. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun to talk to you on the podcast and just talk to you in general. I know it's nice to see you. It's been a while. I'll put all your links in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Being a Whole Person. The music you're hearing right now was written and performed by me, supported by Tim O'Keefe on percussion. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you shared with a friend, subscribed, or left a rating and review, which will help more people find the show. You can find show notes at coachingforcreativewellness.com slash podcast. See you next time, and be kind to yourself.